Have you ever wondered how to make sense out of your messy life or how to live in peace in the middle of a stressful world? My name is Jamie Norton, and I want to welcome you to the Making Peace and Beyond podcast, where we talk about life struggles and how to live in the peace, joy, and freedom that Christ died to give us. Hello and welcome back to the Making Peace and Beyond podcast. Today is a really very special day. Last month we talked about marriage and this month we have a very special story of God's ability to heal what we cannot. And uh, I asked Sarah and Eddie Perez to come because they have had just miracles in their life um, in restoring a marriage that was seriously broken. And I, as a counselor for the last 44 years, I find that we throw the towel in so easily. We are such a throwaway, cancel, let's ghost each other society that when something happens, the typical thing is to uh, break it up and go to divorce and, uh, and never even consider the possibility of restoration and reconciliation that God so graciously offers us. And Eddie and Sarah's story is one of... Uh, brokenness, divorce, and healing. So I would like to um, just turn it over to Sarah. Welcome to you both. And Sarah, if you want to start and just say what happened. Okay, well, uh, Eddie and I were married for about 12 and a half years. And prior to that, we had dated for about five and a half years. Uh, And we had lived together for the bulk of that time. So we didn't actually start in a godly place. That probably was our first problem, is not putting God at the center of our relationship. Um, and uh, the demise of our marriage, at the time I would have said, uh, was his affair. I found out in 2019 and quickly filed for divorce. And it was finalized pretty quickly within about six months. Uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, You said you you were not happy when you found this out. No. (laughs) No, I was uh, incredibly angry. Um, We went back and forth for a few months. Uh, There was the, oh, I want to work on my marriage statements coming from him, but he was still seeing his affair partner during that time. Lots of lying. Um, I was pregnant at the time. I was When I found out, I was five months pregnant with our now three-year-old uh, son, Matt. So it was just a really rough time. Um, pretty- and I just became very rageful, actually. I don't think anger is probably the right word to cover it. Uh, I did a lot of very regretful things. When Matt was born, uh, when he was two weeks old, I, Matt and I flew across country and stayed with my parents for about a month. Um, and Eddie can probably talk to you about how hurtful that was to him at the time. So you, would you like to chime in and say, okay, this is what it was like for me during that period? Yeah, I mean, for me... I don't know, I just felt so lost and I just kept on doing things that I felt would make it better, but just made it worse, if that makes sense. It's like mm-hmm. I 
was like split between wanting, thinking that I wanted to work at the marriage, work on the marriage, but then also didn't want to give up the affair. Um, and I remember like when she took our son and went across country for, for the month, instead of taking that time to heal or to work on things, I just took that time to gauge deeper into my affair. And um, it was like I was just in my own, my own fantasy world, and it didn't matter if I was losing my marriage and my child. And you know, that's just kind of the, the tip of, of everything that, <laughs> that I was going <laughs> through in my mind. You know, which to the outside observer seems like a pretty hopeless situation. You're filled with rage. You're filled with denial and delusion and, and wanting to live in two worlds at one time with one body, which is also impossible. And and and, and it was yeah. just, I mean, at, at this point is usually where people would uh, move into being bitter and separate. And, you know, we live in a world that says uh, if you... Uh, love somebody, if somebody has betrayed you and you love them, that you're a fool. And 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 in that philosophy, Jesus is a fool because we do all kinds of crazy things and he still loves us. And uh, so there's, there's a, uh, since we were made for love, by love, to love, what I have found is that love is the toughest thing on earth. It created us. And it, it, it is amazing how strong and powerful love can be. So what, uh, I think I met you about that time. I didn't meet you at, at that point, I don't think. But I, I met you, Sarah, when you were pretty, still pretty angry. <laughs> you know, yeah, was... so we'll fast forward a little bit. Our <laughs> divorce was finalized uh, that summer, and I met you a few months later. And I walked into your office a very, very angry woman. Uh, and you recommended making peace uh, pretty right away. And uh, I didn't think I needed it, of course. You were um, all right. It was his problem. <laughs> it, it was his problem. I think I waited, gosh, it was, I think, six months before I took it. I took it the following March or May. I think it was May um, of 2021. And... During that time, I, I did start to work on myself a little bit. I got involved in a small group uh, here at Grace uh, Church, and that really built some community in. Uh, that really started my healing. Working with you, I had to engage in some self-reflection. That was pretty painful. Uh, turns out my, you know, Eddie's affair wasn't the only issue in our marriage, um, Actually, that was probably the least of the issues in our marriage. You know, that's, I almost hesitate to even bring it up because that automatically paints Eddie as the bad guy. Um, and man, I was, a, if you look back at our first marriage, um, I would probably say that I was 65% bad guy if you had to put a percentage on <laughs> who was the bad guy in that marriage. Um, he just had the ones that were visible and that society doesn't accept. But I was a pretty awful spouse. Very often, you're right, people look at the affair as this happened out of nowhere to a really happy, healthy marriage where people were really getting along with each other. And what we find is that 
there's always something else going on as well. And, you know, it's, uh, I think your willingness to look at yourself was, was the, uh, was the key to healing because if Eddie had had to stay the bad guy as society would have it, um, then you would never have been able to make that turn. But you were willing to look at yourself and how you had contributed to what was going on. And often an affair is, strangely enough, and, and I don't know how it worked in your marriage, and I won't say that's what was going on, but often an affair is a way to almost try to stay in a marriage because you're not getting some needs met. You know, often it's not. I mean, often it's a result of other kinds of things, but... It, it, it very seldom happens if there's a truly healthy relationship going on. And I think when you became willing to look at that and became willing to say, "How? what is my contribution? So often couples will come into my life and they're like wanting a judge, you know, and, and they come in and they want to tell me their side of the story and they want me to judge who's the good guy and who's the bad guy and who's right and who's wrong. And I'm, I'm like you're in the wrong place, <laughs> you know, that belongs in the courtroom. I'm about restoration, you know, I'm about healing. And so it, it is, it, it's it's not about right or wrong people. In any relationship, it's a dance, and everybody has their own contribution to to what's going on. And so really seeking, okay, how can I use what is going on right now as an opportunity to become the best version of myself that God created? and to really focus on that kind of growth. So were you surprised when she ever spoke to you again when she hung around? <laughs> um, yes and no. I mean, I didn't know what, what I expected her to do. I mean, still kind of just being in the denials thing, I would, you know, I never really thought about the consequences so thinking that oh there'll be a divorce and that she will actually file and that she will you know go through the steps it until she actually did it i you know didn't think she would <laughs> yeah. so then for her to then want to like have it to be a uh, what like a what's the word like an amicable amicable divorce yeah. like it was actually a very amicable divorce considering you know the circumstances because um, to me it's like how society thinks I had an, I was in an affair that's like the worst the worst of the worst you could do to somebody so for her to be staying around like. I started to f put the word grace to that. Like she mm -hmm. showed a lot of grace. Um, just willing to even, you know, let me have good visitation with Matthew and just kind of be part of his his birthdays and whatever would be coming up. So yeah. So I was guess I was surprised. And then you started <laughs> seeking your own help. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, eventually in July of 2020, my affair partner, you know, decided 
decided that she was going to part ways with me. So not too long after that. So old country song they used to say, now that there's nothing between us, there's nothing between us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So at that point, it wasn't too long after that where yeah, I, I went into my own, my own um, counseling with, with Mark here, Grace, and um, just started my own, my own journey to reconciliation with myself and with my marriage. Um, so what, what was involved in your healing? What kind of step, other than you went into counseling and then you went into other things as well? Um, the counseling, I started going into the men's, I think then they were still having the seven pillars. Mm-hmm which I had been doing, but not really taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. So I started going into that and really focusing on that. And then we have galvanized here every Friday night at, at, at Grace. So I started attending Which that. is another men's group. Yeah, another yeah. men's group. And you started came to make in peace, that. but you just did it to placate. Right. <laughs> did make in peace. With and beyond. Pretty, pretty early yeah. on. <laughs> just to kind of, I don't know. Because you had said, like, because when I went again, you you had made a comment about how, yeah, I could tell the difference between the first time you did it and and this time and, and how a completely different place I was at. I think um, I think the first time you did it was more under, under pressure. The second time, you were the one who did it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was. So, Sarah, when did you start to, and how did you start to think, okay, maybe there's hope? Because I think the rebirth of hope is a big thing. And it's like you didn't have hope initially. No, for a long time. So like Eddie mentioned, we were pretty committed to effective co-parenting almost right away. Um, Minus the month I took Matt back to stay with my parents while I was on maternity leave. Um, I think that that was because we had seen some pretty toxic divorces and didn't as much as you can avoid not having a toxic divorce, which is kind of an oxymoron. Um, but with co-parenting, we slowly started to become friends. That took a while. Um, or friendly. And then friendly turned into friends. And then probably with maybe like a year later, Eddie started talking about reconciliation and I just kind of laughed. and <laughs> I remember distinctly. And I, I wasn't trying to be mean about it, but, and I wasn't angry by that point. I, I, did, I had done a lot of healing, but it, it was just, no. I, you know, we're friends, we're co-parenting really well, but absolutely not. I'm not looking to get back on that roller coaster or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I just didn't think we were well-suited to one another. And then I dated a little bit. That was a train wreck. <laughs> um, I did the online dating apps. Those are awful. And the dating scene had changed a lot. I'm in my late 30s now. So that was all pre-dating apps <laughs> the last time I had done that. And I was sitting in your office um, one day and describing how awful dating apps were and how you have to talk to people and they just want to engage in meaningless conversation and small talk and 
you just turned and looked at me and was like, you want to have a meaningful conversation and a deep connection with somebody, but you have that with Eddie. I don't understand why you're going around dating. And you just kind of called me out. And um, yeah, just planted a seed that I had to explore. And so a few months later, we started dating. It was very slow at first. Um, I was pretty cautious. And at that point, he had already said that we were going to be remarried. And I had laughed <laughs> multiple times. Um, you're shaking your head, Eddie. Yeah, sorry. I know they can't see shaking heads. <laughs> but yes, I am agreeing with... You were really pretty persistent. I mean, you yeah. just hung in there in a different way. I think that it was so much fun being a part of that journey back to each other when you began really having conversations and dating and getting excited and and just, you know, the you know, the difference in your relationship was pretty apparent to the outside observer, you know. And it was it was so beautiful, you know, to really to really watch. Yeah, it's been fun for us. It's um feels night and day, which is strange because we've known each other, what year are we in? 21 years now? 22 years? 22. 22 years now. Yeah. And yet, in so many ways, it feels like just a couple of years. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things that I think you both did that was so powerful is you first sought your relationship with God and, your, and, and yourself and really looking at, okay, yeah. who am I? Who am I in God's eyes? Who am I? And, you know, how, uh, how am I in relationship? And, and putting God in the middle of your relationship. Again, we, we say a relationship without God in the middle is a lot like two ticks without a dog. You're not going to, you're just going to suck each other dry. And that kind of is what happened before. I mean, both of you came into the relationship wanting from another human being what only God can give. You were looking for security, looking for identity, looking for significance and value, looking for the fruit of the Spirit and meaning and purpose. No human being can give. And if we get that from God, we can share it with each other. And that's the independently mature enough in Christ to be maturely dependent kind of understanding of relationship, which you know now is, is, is there. And, and uh, how would you say, if you had to describe the difference between your first marriage I'll ask both of you this. The, the first marriage and your marriage today. Well, I mean, simply put, I mean, Jesus is now the center of our life. In this marriage, the first marriage, we had we presented an image i guess that he was at the center of our life but how we treated each other and you know what we did on a daily basis and just how we lived our lives didn't really in any way reflect that outside of going to church on sunday and and yeah. calling it good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so often we say sometimes you can go to McDonald's every day and never become a hamburger. Right. You know, so you were, <laughs> you know, it is, it is, uh, it, there's a huge difference in, in living in Christ 
and and doing Christ. Sometimes somebody will say, "Yeah, you know, this you don't act, you aren't acting like a Christian." I'm like, "You're absolutely right. I'm not acting. I am one." <laughs> you know, it's there's a difference between acting like a Christian and being a Christian. So, and, and that's what I'm hearing is your difference today. Is it even though you knew who Christ was, you weren't surrendered to right. living in the way that He says we work best. I mean, it's, if you look at the Bible is a owner's manual. You know, you get a car, you get an owner's manual, and it says, you know, don't put sugar in the gas tank because the car won't run well. Well, you can put sugar in the gas tank, but the car won't run well. And that's what happens, I think, when when we try to control our own destiny and control our own issues. So, so you move from doing Christianity to being in Christ, and when you came into that, you came into it together. So how about you, Sarah? How would you say you're, you're, in your eyes, how is a marriage different? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the number one difference. Um, we were really good Christians one hour a week before. Um, and even then, not even, because of the bulk, probably seven or eight years of our marriage, we didn't even attend church. Um, I have probably more concrete examples for myself. So I think about things like, gift giving. Eddie's a terrible gift giver. I love you, but you really are. And that's one of my strong suits. I'm an excellent gift giver. Um, and I really like getting gifts. That's, you know, how I receive love. Um, I'm sure that comes from my dad. Uh, so in our first marriage, when I would get terrible gifts from him, I would not feel loved. And then and how would you respond? Oh, passive-aggressively. And I'd be really angry and mad about it, and I'd throw a fit about it. But then what I would start to do is I would write lists for him, and I would then expect him to buy me only the gifts on the list, because then those would be good gifts. But then if he did that, I would also not feel loved, because I would feel like I was having to do the heavy lifting. And if he really knew me, he would... Like I wouldn't have to do that for him. Oh, you just you just hit. I want to stop you for just one second because you just hit on probably one of the biggest flaws in beliefs about relationship is that somebody, if they love you, would know you. Nobody is going to be a mind reader, and they're not going to know you unless you tell them who you are. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's like I just want you to guess right. <laughs> you know. It's, but so, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, so I wasn't a no-win situation where <laughs> if I picked it on my own, they were wrong. But if I went off her list, I was wrong. And either way, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I'm holding him to the standard and thinking <clears throat> less of him because I'm creating this image of him that isn't him instead of accepting him who, as he is and appreciating those qualities. So when we cover that chapter in Making Peace about fantasy relationships, I very much, I mean, on the one hand, I appreciated that chapter as it related to his affair, but I also appreciated it as it related to my image and view of him. Um, and another example would be not treating him respectfully um, in several ways. But one of the ways I can think of is valuing him or devaluing him based on the amount of money he earned. Not because we even needed him 
for the amount of money he earned. I've always had a very lucrative job um, based on my educational background. I've always contributed more financially to our household or whatever. However, I also recognized that I would put a respect tag associated with the amount of money that he would bring in, which is extremely harmful and detrimental. And what's ironic is I don't do that now, and yet you make significantly more now. So it's kind of ironic that you change that behavior and God is more prosperous. You're more prosperous. You're more blessed. Now you don't really care. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, but it, but it, it's, it's funny because, again, in part of both of you readjusting and reaccommodating each other, you know, you're seeing the things in yourself that really, you know, did not make you feel respected or loved. Yeah. And so, so now you're... You've changed those behaviors for the most part. Is that just she telling the truth? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's so it's a you know the you mentioned the fantasy relationship, and I think that's one of the big things that you know we have a culture again where I hear a lot about people wanting to get married, and their their fantasy of what that is like is is something that often has been created by a child, a wounded child often, who has unrealistic expectations of another human being that someone is going to come along. And I think it's particularly true for women uh, still because women are so... Um, are so taught that, you know, Cinderella couldn't stop scrubbing floors until... Prince Charming came and Snow White couldn't even wake up and so we have this culture that that says there's somebody coming to rescue you to take you know to to meet all of your needs to uh, you know complete your life or whatever and I think with men it comes it comes across as you know when you find a princess and she kisses you you'll no longer be a frog is that, you know, that is that's one of the things that often you know happens is that and we we have this uh, belief that somebody is going to come along and then we find somebody's body and we try to stuff them into our fantasy of who we yeah. think they should be. And when they're not that person, we don't see the real person. We only see them through the image of who we think they should be. And then we try to control and manipulate their life to format them into our creation instead of really embracing them as God's creation who's a human Absolutely. being with needs, limits, and feelings just like you, and to be able to say, we got to relate from that basic, how God created us as human beings. We're human beings and nothing more, and God is God and nothing less, and he's the one who completes us. We don't complete each other. So to really get to that. I totally agree with that, and I think a couple things. One, just because we're restored doesn't mean we don't have everyday issues in our now marriage, right? You mean and it's not perfect? It's not. Oh, darn. <laughs> I'm trying. No. <laughs> <laughs> we struggled last night. We had a fight. It, you came home from Galvanized. We were talking, and I misunderstood something. Didn't You didn't like my response. You went down to your man cave, and I stayed upstairs and watched TV, and it's like, okay. And guess what? 10 <laughs> o'clock is not the time to have some deep... 
conversation <laughs> no. about it. Especially uh, when you're getting ready to come to a po- do a podcast about no. a healed marriage. <laughs> We're not speaking to each other today. You know? <laughs> we yeah. often talked about it this morning. Yeah, I told her earlier. This, yeah, when we talked about it, when we revisited it this morning, I said, you know, 10 o'clock on a Friday it's probably not <laughs> the best. I, I think there was an enemy that did not want y'all to be here. <laughs> <laughs> but that's different than our first marriage. Our first marriage, we just wouldn't have talked about it. It just would have gone untalked about. We would have harbored resentment toward each other. Or we would have talked about it at 10 o'clock until 1 o'clock in the morning, and we would have hated each other after it. Because <laughs> you'd be trying to tell the other one how badly you hurt. And, right. you know, it was like, and how wrong they were and totally. all of that kind of good stuff. Yeah, you know, we had many of those conversations in our first marriage where we literally, depending on who who it was, would follow each other around the house until oh. we got, until oh, we got our answers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who was the tendency to follow the most? Oh, that's a good question. It probably depended on the year. What, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I probably evened out through the years. Yeah. So y'all had, had the uh, relationship where somebody was always leaving and somebody was always chasing, and then you turn it around and the other one's chasing. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's called, it, there's a hand thing like that that says that's a codependent relationship. <laughs> really oh, we were so codependent. <laughs> it is, it is, it yeah. is really a, a an interesting kind of dynamic. But I, I'm glad that you pointed out that it's not all perfect because anytime you share as much time and space with another human being as marriage requires, then you're going to step on each other's toes. But the ability to talk about it is so essential. I mean, the 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 biggest we in, in recovery circles we say you're as sick as the secrets you keep. Yeah, and you know when you when something happens and we don't talk about it, what we're doing is we're stuffing our feelings, our needs, and our limits in order to keep a peace that does not exist, and that peace is not real. So it boils up because we all have our our limit. I call it collecting frequent flyer miles. <laughs> you know, it's it's I get to fly off the handle, I get to fly out the door. You know, whatever. But but to be able to talk about life on life's terms to be able to say this is what's happening in me this is how I'm feeling about that and not have to one up each other or win the argument or but just to to try to hear what the other one has to say in a in a kind way this is a person I love and this is a person who's not my enemy and I don't have to defend myself I am God's creation not your creation so so to recognize that about each other is so important well I think the other thing is being individuals within the marriage. So you mentioned codependency, and before we were so enmeshed, whereas now we both are individuals that have our own relationships with God that come together. Because at the end of the day, whether it's five years, 10 years, 50 years from now, either I'm going to be gone or Eddie's going to be gone, and one of us is going to be alone here. More than likely. It's unlikely we'll be gone at the same time. And we need to be able to be able to live on our own when that time comes. Whereas before, when we were married, the idea of being alone was petrifying. Now the idea, although unpleasant, it's not petrifying. I'll have a life after he passes, or he'll have a life after I pass. 
That's because your identity and your well-being is grounded in Christ. Right. And sometimes I'll tell people who get ready to get married, your big, one of the biggest things for you to remember is that one of you is going to bury the other. Yeah. You are not each other's Savior. <laughs> you have a Savior, but neither one of you is Him. You know. So is there anything else you'd like to throw on the table before we close it down? Marriage isn't the goal. I think a lot of my single friends think marriage is the goal. And uh, I think just enjoy the time of time in your life where you're at. Because we've been unhappily married, and unhappily married is way worse than being single, in my opinion. That is, that is, and, and just to, I mean, not all marriages can be saved. I will say that. Because some, it requires both of you to do what both of you did, which is to be totally honest about who you are, to really seek God's will for you, to learn to love, to learn to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, you know, to learn where your security is, where your identity is. All of that is required for healing to happen. And so often somebody's waiting for the other person to do something or you know, they want me to fix that other person. And I always say you have 50% of a relationship, not 51%. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't change another person and you don't have 49%. You can't be a victim without cooperating. <laughs> you know, so it's about really looking at, uh, if, but if both of you do that, I've watched so many marriages. I've, I've been a counselor now for 44 years, and you wa- and I've watched many marriages heal with really very, very difficult situations. Yours was a difficult situation. There, you know, this this was one that uh, it, we most of the time don't heal from, you know, because. Because of, of bitterness, anger, lack of trust, and and trust has to be rebuilt, and and that's that's significant. But if both people don't own their part and seek God's best version of themselves, then it will not heal. One person cannot heal a marriage, and that is, you know, that's that's really uh, really important. But you're right, living in a marriage where people are being treated with abuse or disrespect is is really, really difficult, not just for the partners, but also for the children, as many of us know, who grew up in yeah. in marriages that were not content. So, anything else that you would like to throw on the board, Eddie? Um. I just want to say I am so glad I know you guys. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. You know, y'all have done such a good job and 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 have become a valued part of my community. And Sarah, you're now involved in the Making Peace and Beyond Leadership uh, and doing a great job there. And and just uh, and and you're not off the cuff yet for that, but <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, it's, I figured not. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. We will. We will. Um, but I thank you so much for sharing your story. This is a, a often, you know, I'm so about sharing our testimony because there's so many people out there that are struggling with everything that you've struggled with. And to be able to share the testimony of, of where you were, what happened, and what God has done, and where you are now gives hope. And so this is all about having the courage to step into truth you know, and to offer hope to those who may still be hurting. So thank you so much. And for those of you who are 
listening to this podcast, I just want to remind you that uh, we have other podcasts and we appreciate your listening. Uh, reviews are great. So uh, comments are wonderful. We like those if they're nice. We don't keep quiet if they're not. But it's, but also um, we have uh, TikTok, we have Facebook, we have Instagram. Um, we have all kinds of things and we have uh, a website that shows the videos and, and other testimonies and so uh, thank you for listening today and God bless. Mm-hmm.